Welcome to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Now here's your Lighthouse Council host. Hi, welcome to The Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. I'm Jeff Jowdy, your host for today's discussion with author, speaker, servant leader, and one of my all-time favorite people, Dr. Kent Keith. Kent, welcome to the Beacon Podcast. Thank you very much, Jeff. And for our listeners, Kent is known throughout the world as author of the Paradoxical Commandments, Do It Anyway, Jesus Did It Anyway, Half Faith Anyway, and more. Uh, During his career, Kent has served as an attorney, the state of Hawaii director of planning and economic development, project manager for Mililani Technology Park, senior vice president of the YMCA of Honolulu, president of Chaminade University of Honolulu, CEO of the Greenleaf Center for Servant Leadership USA, and later CEO of the Greenleaf Center for Servant Leadership Asia. And he most recently served as president of Pacific Rim Christian uh, University. Kent earned his bachelor's degree from Harvard University, his master's degree from Oxford University in England, a certificate in Japanese from Waseda University in Tokyo, his JD from the University of Hawaii, and an ED in higher education leadership from the University of Southern California. Kent is married to Dr. Elizabeth Masao Keith. Kent is married to Dr. Elizabeth Masao Keith, and they have three grown children. Again, Kent, just what a joy it is to uh, have you with us today, and for me, always and our listeners to be inspired and to learn from you. That's great to be with you. Thank you. Well, as, as they have heard, it's such a distinguished career, and I, I have to do my always aside is whenever on social media, I see your paradoxical commandments attributed <laughs> to, to Mother Teresa, and I think it's a, it's a high honor to be in the same category and thought of. Uh, I always try and, and nicely correct folks and say, well, no, those were written by, by Dr., Dr. Kent Keith. So, you know, if you have to be misattributed to somebody, what an honor. I, I agree. In, indeed. Well, there's just incredible uh, ageless wisdom in, in the paradoxical commandments. And it, it's hard to fathom for me to fathom that you wrote them as an undergraduate at Harvard. So how did the commandments come about? Well, Jeff, it, you know, it really was about the 1960s, really. I mean, I went to high school and college in the 60s. And uh, it was a time of conflict and confrontation on many campuses, but you know it was also a time of of, of hope uh, and high ideals. And um, I traveled around the country. I was giving speeches at the student council workshops and conferences because I I too wanted change, and I thought you know we ought to be able to work together uh, to bring it about. It was about you know how do we get this done? And, and I noticed after a while that uh, a lot of young people were you know, going out in the world to bring about change, but then they were coming back much too soon because the change that they sought was not happening and uh, people didn't appreciate what they were trying to do. And I, I, I thought that was disturbing. So I, I, I told them, you know, you, you need to really love people because love is one of the only motivations that's strong enough to keep you with the people and with the process until change is achieved because change usually takes time. And, and the other thing I told them was that if you go out in the world to do what you think is right and good and true, then that should give you a lot of meaning and satisfaction. And that's yours, whether anybody appreciates you or not. Um, in 1968, I was 19. I was a sophomore in college. I wrote a little leadership manual for high school student leaders. And, you know, it was about 
caring about people and working together to get things done. But as, as part of that little booklet, I wrote the Paradoxical Commandments. And it was to emphasize the need to stay focused on meaning. Um, so, so here they are. Your, your listeners may be familiar. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. The biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favor underdogs, but follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you do help them. Help people anyway. And finally, give the world the best you have and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you have anyway. So 10 paradoxical commandments. So the, the paradoxical commandments are guidelines for finding personal meaning in the face of adversity. Um, they don't include everything that happens in life. They're examples of, of an attitude toward what happens in life. And that each one starts with a um, statement about something that's difficult or adverse or irritating. Um, but each of those statements of adversity is followed by the positive commandment to do the right thing, to do the meaningful thing and do it anyway. So we know that, that times can be tough. Times are tough right now. But no matter what the world does to us, we get to decide how to respond. And we can always respond in a way that's meaningful to us. So we can always find meaning by facing the worst in the world with the best in ourselves. I think it's significant that we understand there are things in life we, we don't control, we can't control. I mean, not as individuals anyway. Uh, as individuals, we don't control the world economy or population growth or natural disasters or you know which industries are gonna grow, which ones are gonna decline, which jobs will be created, which ones will disappear and on and on. There are things as individuals we can't control. We can work hard, uh, we can join with others, we can do our best to influence those external events but we just can't control them. So what can we control? Well, we can control our inner lives, our spiritual lives. So we get to decide who we're gonna be and how we're gonna live. And we can live our faith and we can live our values and we can be close to our family and friends. And we can do what we know is right and good and true, no matter what, no matter what. And doing that can always be a source of meaning for us. Uh, even when the world's going badly, we can still find personal meaning. And personal meaning is a key to being deeply happy. That, so it's been a number of years, and I've noticed uh, over the years that um, some people have called the Paradoxical Commandments uh, a personal declaration of independence. It's a, it's an independence from all the things we can't control. We, we know we can find meaning anyway. Other people have referred to them as a no-excuses policy. Okay, I mean, some people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Um, so what? That's no excuse. You got to love them anyway. You don't want to limit your life by limiting your love. Well, it was in this little booklet, and uh, we sold 25,000 to 30,000 copies of that little booklet in the United States between 1968 and 1972. Wow. Uh, I went on with my life, and unknown to me at the time, all of the commandments started spreading around the world until millions of people uh, had used them. 30 years later, in 1997, I learned that Mother Teresa had put them up on the wall of her children's home in Calcutta. And that had a really big impact on me. I, you know, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I, 
I have a lot of respect for Mother Teresa. Actually, she's now St. Teresa of Calcutta. A lot of respect for how she lived and, and how she served others. But also my wife and I have um, been in a lot of orphanages in a number of countries, and we know that they can be really heart-wrenching places. So the fact that it was uh, on the wall of a children's home and it was Mother Teresa's children's home, um, that really meant a lot to me. And I thought, well, you know, I should do something. And uh, what I what I did was I started writing and speaking about the paradoxical commandments again, 30 years after I first published them. So that's a little bit about how the paradoxical commandments came about and where they went. Well, that what an incredible story, and and thank you for continually reminding us about purpose and, and meaning. And I can't think of uh, a time when they've been more relevant than, than today in the environment and conversation. So just thank you for that, for that, uh, that gift. I'm curious, it's probably like having kids, but do you have a, a favorite commandment? <laughs> in this case, I can tell you, yes. <laughs> I couldn't tell you about my kids, but <laughs> I can tell you about the commandments. Yes, I do. Actually, Jeff, my favorite commandment has changed over the years. So, you know, back in the 60s, um, a lot of the tension was on political and social change. And I think my, my favorites back then would have been um, uh, number six and number seven. So that would be um, the biggest men and women uh, with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds, think big anyway. And uh, number seven, people favor underdogs but follow only top dogs, fight for a few underdogs anyway. I think those were, were my favorites then. But today, clearly my favorite uh, is the first one. People are illogical, unreasonable and self-centered, love them anyway. I, I think that's basically about unconditional love. I think there, there just isn't enough unconditional love in the world today. We need to love unconditionally in order to keep our families together and keep our friendships strong and live together in community. And I like to, to point out that love is not the same as agreement or approval. I think love is, is much deeper than that. We can love people even if we don't always agree with them or approve of everything they do. We, we can love them anyway. So that's that's uh, definitely my favorite today. That's awesome, and you're of course known worldwide as an expert on, on on servant leadership. And how would you? And it's a uh, my guess is it's probably shared more as a buzzword or a topic. And and I think the understanding of what that really means might be lacking in terms of behind the um, uh, awareness of the the word language. But could you summarize for us, Kent, servant leadership? And is there any particular uh, application uh, to the nonprofit community? Okay, uh, well, let me focus on, on what I consider to be the, the foundations uh, for servant leadership, what, what it's built on. And, and that is the, 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 uh, the value of serving others. Uh, serving others is an important human value. It, it can be found in all the world's great religions and in statements by many leaders and thinkers over the centuries. And so, yes, there are many ways to serve others, if you want to serve others and you see the opportunity to serve by leading, then you accept the responsibilities of a leader and you become a servant leader. So servant leadership starts with the desire to serve, not the desire to lead. It starts with the desire to serve. It starts with a servant's heart. That's why servant leadership is not about acquiring power, wealth, or, or fame for oneself as a leader. It's about identifying and meeting the needs of others. That's the key idea. I like to say that's the mission of the servant leader, identifying and meeting the needs of others. It's really about paying attention, paying attention to people on helping them get what they need. So along those lines, servant leaders um, pay attention to their colleagues. They help them to grow and reach their full potential. They make sure their, their colleagues um, have what they need to perform at their highest levels. 
And, and again, in terms of paying attention to others, they pay close attention to the people their organization is there to serve. So customers, clients, patients, members, students, citizens, whomever the organization exists to serve. Servant leaders are really good at listening to their customers. And that's how they can, they, they can provide the programs and products and services that people really want and, and need. So I don't think this is rocket science. I think it's pretty easy to see how servant leaders can, can be successful and their organizations can be successful. You know, if, you, if, if your colleagues grow and perform at their highest levels and your customers are getting what they need and they're happy and they come back again and they tell their friends, I mean, it, it just, it works. Unfortunately, I've, I've met people who um, think that servant leadership is a nice idea, but, uh, but could never work. And um, I know from experience that, that it works very well. There's also a, a growing body of empirical research by established leadership scholars that demonstrates that servant leadership is very effective in the workplace. These are workplace studies, and we're getting more studies about the overall impact on the, ent- the entire organization. And that includes research on uh, for-profit companies that's just uh, going in for publication now. And it shows that as servant leadership goes up, profitability goes up. Wow. Wow. Uh, which is, you know, and again, these are these are methodologically credible mm-hmm. empirical studies in the workplace. So I, I know from anecdotal evidence that that servant leadership can work in any kind of organization. But to me, to your point about nonprofits, it, it seems most natural and most obvious that it would work in a nonprofit organization. I think that all organizations exist to serve others, but that's really clear in the nonprofit world. That's you know, it's really clear people need the education, the health services, the food, the physical fitness, spiritual growth, or they need to come together on issues they care about, like the environment or human rights, or they want to preserve the history of their community. So they form organizations specifically to meet those needs. And that's what attracts people. People who care about those needs, they come there to work, they come there to, to serve on the board. They know they're there to serve others. So um, it's not about power, wealth, or fame. People don't go there to be rich and famous. Uh, if they do, they don't last long because that's not what it's about. Um, it's about service to others. So I, I think the nonprofit sector is a very natural place for servant leaders to thrive. Thank you so much. I love, I love that clarity. And Kent, you've engaged in relationship building, obviously, your whole life and professional career, and you've uh, served as um, CEO and, and, uh, and a fundraising uh, professional. So what advice in today's climate and with your vast knowledge, uh, kind of a broad question I understand, but what advice would you give to uh, fundraising professionals today? Wow. Well, I, th- I would start by saying that I think that um, it's a good career because I think that it's professionally challenging and intellectually fascinating. Yeah, the, we, we know there are basic principles, but, but it's more than that. It's, it's more challenging because each organization has its own reputation and its history of service. It has its own culture and traditions its own projects, its own relationships. So it actually takes a lot of watching and listening just to get a sense of the environment in which one is working and then decide where one can best spend uh, one's time uh, for the benefit of the organization. So I start by saying that, you know, as a career, this is a a challenging and fascinating uh, arena to work in. So when it comes to where do you best spend your time, usually it's well worth one's time to build relationships. And my advice about building relationships is, is pretty simple, pretty obvious. Um, And that is that you need to learn as much as you can about the values and desires and hopes and dreams of the potential donors that you're building the relationship with. I suppose that you could build a relationship with someone to the point that, you know, the potential donor will will give you money for your organization because they like you and they like your organization and, and, you know, you're asking them and they say, yes, why not, you know, and they'll give. 
But I, I really think that fundraising is more than that and should be more than that. I like to see fundraising as a way to help donors live their values and fulfill their dreams. So I like looking at it as a way to serve them. You know, you're serving your organization, but how do you serve the donor? So we're really back to servant leadership here because the focus is not on you and your organization. The focus is on identifying and meeting the needs of your donors. It's about seeing if you can achieve alignment so that your organization's needs match the donor's values and dreams. And that makes it a win-win. And that makes it meaningful to the donor as well as your organization and the people you serve. I just find that very satisfying as a fundraiser. I mean, you're helping something positive to happen and you're doing it in a win-win fashion. It's good for both the donor and the organization. My experience is that fundraising is hard work. It takes time. Uh, The results are not guaranteed, but it's really meaningful work. And I think that's important. When you look back at the end of your life, how did you make a difference? Uh, I think the fundraisers often look back and can point to a lot of ways in which they made a difference. Not all jobs offer that same opportunity to have a meaningful impact. In the fundraising field, um, you can have the impact, you know what it is and where it is, and it's, it's, it's meaningful. Let me just give you um, a personal example. About 20 years ago, I was part of a team that raised money to rebuild two, two YMCAs in parts of Honolulu that would be considered to be less advantaged economically. So it took several years to develop the designs and to run the capital campaign, uh, but we did it. It was a team effort and we got it done. We got individual donations, we got foundation grants, we got appropriations from the state legislature and the new buildings were, they were rebuilt. And they have been serving and will continue to, to be serving thousands of children and families every year year after year for decades. So to, to put it bluntly, they'll be serving thousands of families and children every year long after I'm gone. And, you know, fundraisers have the opportunity to leave legacies like that. So again, I think it's meaningful work and, and that's the best advice that I can give. Kent, I just, I always learn and, and are inspired. Kent, I always learn and am inspired by you. It's just a, a real treat to have a conversation and to, to reconnect and for us to be able to share your wisdom with our listeners on the Beacon Podcast. Well, my pleasure to be with you and I bless you for all the good work you do. Well, thank you, Kent. And for our listeners, please be sure and check out Kent's website, Carlson Keith, C-A-R-L-S-O-N Keith, K-E-I-T-H.com. And be sure if you do not have a, a copy of the Paradoxical Commandments or his other books, please visit the website and click on products and you will be blessed for sure. This is Jeff Jowdy, uh, thanking our listeners for joining us for this edition of the Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. Thanks for listening to the Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Tune in every week for nonprofit topics with special guest interviews, suggest future topics, and learn more about upcoming podcast and guest at lighthousecouncil.com.